You're listening to the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Friends Talking Nerdy! If your friends are nerdy and you are nerdy too, I want to talk to you. Welcome to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. That's right. The 301st time we've said that. Yay. I think it's the first time I've said it. Probably. So episode 301, maybe I'm taking over that role. Ooh, yes. Um, Somebody has to, right? I'm so professional here. We are, and really you should keep doing it because you're the sexiest voice in podcasting today. Well, you know. Well, I mean, maybe, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but toot, toot. Um, Toot, toot. Yeah, this is Friends Talking Nerdy. This is Tim the Nerd here welcoming you to another lovely, beautiful episode here as we record at night here in Portland, Oregon. Joining me, as you've already heard, is the greatest legal mind in the Pacific Northwest. We have Professor Aubrey. How are you doing? I am doing well today. I am feeling gratitude, I am feeling peace, I am feeling joy. Hmm. So I'm doing really well. That's good. Um, Last week, you had mentioned Colonel Baldwin being in the hospital here. So um, since uh, we both know he is an avid listener of the show, wanted to uh, put it out there for the folks at home if you have a little update you wanted to share. Absolutely. So the colonel um, has gone from the hospital to a rehab facility. Um, So that means he's making some progress. Uh, He now is faced with the challenge of walking again after having a fractured hip that was surgically replaced. Ouch. Ouch. So he was in good spirits. He also... um, had an interview today that lasted for two hours and he did a really great job at that interview so you know i'm really proud of him and and what he's doing to take care of himself right now and um yeah i love you dad if you're listening yeah and i uh, you know think about it too i mean they're being in his position is probably not the best thing in the world but you know one benefit if you think about it you know someone his age getting a hot young nurse doing like a sponge bath type of deal don't even say that (laughs) don't even say that because it is not beyond the pale for the colonel Okay, like father, like daughter? No. <laughs> well, he calls everybody darling. He tells them, like, you look great today or whatever. He's but, just like a 19... He was born in 1950. And so he is socially conditioned to think that that's what people want. Using some of the old Southern charm? He does really well when he, you know, <laughs> he rolls out whatever he's got to roll out. Yeah. To get his needs met, you know. Well, you know, that's throwing out some jokes right there. A little bit of levity doesn't hurt anybody. Most importantly, though, you know, we both hope 
he gets better, gets to a point where he can get more healthy, most importantly, let that hip heal up. You know, I mean, you know, hopefully there can be a time in the future where, you know, you'll be able to, he'll be able to put, you know, stress out that hip by doing some walking and whatnot. But now's the time to recover. Now's the time to heal up. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it makes me, you know, the re- one of the reasons I said I was feeling really grateful is because it only takes seeing someone in the condition that my dad is currently in to feel gratitude for what your body can do for you and to try and keep as healthy as possible so that you can do as much as you can independently for as long as possible. Because, and so I'm really grateful. And, you know, this week I was able, it was the first week of, full week of classes and so I started a couple of classes myself in addition to teaching um, a yoga class an aerial yoga class and a dancing deep stretch class so I'm all about the flexibility this term and I've been able to go to those yoga classes a couple of times even though things have been hectic and I just have really enjoyed them more than I had before yeah, I mean, I remember when my mother was first uh, being affected by her brain tumors and whatnot. Um, she, like my sister, had graduated from the private Christian college that she went to that fleeced her for $300,000. Um, but she drove down there with a brain tumor, not realizing it was a brain tumor, just thinking, you know, she was sick and whatnot. And, um, you know, she was the stubborn type in a lot of ways in terms of I'm not going to get get this help because I can take care of it. But, you know, that ended up really freaking her out. I mean, luckily, she didn't get into an accident or anything like that. But, um, you know, it, it shows the importance of recognizing when you need the help. It's it's good to have that desire to want to do things on your own, to be able to be self-sufficient and whatnot. But sometimes it's it's just as important to say to yourself, I can't do it. I need help. And I, you know, I think more than anything, I, I hope, it, you know, because, you know, we're all going to get to that point at some point, one way or another, you know, and if I get to that point, I hope I have enough courage to be able to say, I can't do it anymore. I need help. You know, what I really hope for myself, honestly, is that the assisted suicide laws will loosen up because I'm afraid what happens with assisted suicide, if somebody wants to choose that where it is legal, as it is here in Oregon and in Washington, you have to meet certain criteria, including that you're not going to recover from a terminal illness. Well, by the time my dad found out he had Parkinson's, which is a terminal illness, he was unable to assert, like he was so far gone that he couldn't put into effect what he probably would have chosen mm-hmm. had he been in his right mind when he got the diagnosis. But because he had been so affected by the Parkinson's already, he was in no place. Like nobody was going to listen to him say what he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, 
time sucks <laughs> you know? in a lot of ways. We all get to the point to where uh, the ending is going to happen. Hopefully, well, my hope is that it's, for me at least, that it's like quick and I don't feel nothing. <laughs> you know, just like one of those deals like you fall asleep and don't wake up type of deal. I mean, oh, that yeah. Would be I mean, that's like the dream death, right? Is that you don't have to go through a bunch of suffering only to die at the end of all of that suffering. Or like a heart attack during sex. <laughs> Getting struck by lightning. Mm. I always thought that'd be a fun way. Like it's over. What a shocking answer. <laughs> um, well, not to be morbid. That was all a little morbid. Um, I tried to bring it around to like happy stuff by talking about dancing and um, things that I've been enjoying. Because I think even though, yes, time keeps going by and time is a bitch and growing older is hard. Every day has the potential to be joyful and beautiful. Right? Every day that you're alive has potential. So yeah, you have to you have to be able to have the courage to to see it there because you know your brain, especially if you know you deal with like depression like I do, like you do, um, your brain will fuck with you. <laughs> and you're, like like my youngest right now, uh, Lucy, she's uh, dealing with a lot, but you know she's also seventeen. That's so you know what she views as a lot to other people. You know they wish, you know they. they they would wish they have, you know, struggles like that, you know. Um, That's how I feel about myself most of the time. Yeah. You know, when I get upset about things and I'm like, geez, you know, I've got so much good. And that's that's important to, you know, that's important to remember in a lot of ways. I mean, even if it's something small, like, you know, like, like for me, one thing I love to do is feed the crows, you know? And I, I love the fact that, you know, they hop up on the railing. They, they, you know, hop on the table, um, outside and, you know, are able to eat whatever treats I leave out there for them. But, you know, I, that's something I absolutely love. You know, and, you know, it doesn't matter how bad my day gets, the fact that I can, you know, give another living creature that doesn't, you know, have the ability to, you know, make food on their own or whatever, you know, a, a chance to have a little bit of a snack and and just some quick respite too just a chance to like sit on the ledge and chill you know? and not feel so afraid of the humans that they fly away immediately right like to yeah. feel chilled out enough that like i know you're not gonna fuck with me yeah yeah i mean i i, I they're I, I i don't control the murder of crows yet but um and they haven't even brought gifts yet that cheap fucks but um <laughs> but but yeah, they do see me as as someone that is uh, safe, and uh, you know I, I love that. I mean, I love the, the like. There's one in particular that will when I'm outside putting the nuts down that will hop on the, that will fly from the electric cords to the railing and sit there and watch me do that. Now I you know again I, it's not to the point where they're comfortable with eating food out of my hand. I'm not patting them or brushing them or anything like that. It'd be awesome if that happened. Happened, but they're wild animals too. I should, you know, I, I we wouldn't it be fun if they like if you made friends with a particular crow and and the crow just started um, riding around on your shoulder. That would be awesome. And you just go outside and go land on your shoulder. You know, yeah. And you could just walk around with it. 
Yeah, and be a badass. I mean, with this with the Van Dyke growing in like it is. Van Dyke is what most people call a goatee. It's the mustache and beard growing in, but it's the longest I've ever had it. And that, along with like a crow, would be fucking badass. Yeah, and your bald head. Yeah. Just get some of those uh, aviation sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Walk around. I'd be like Rob Halford, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, um, before we dive into our main topic this week, wanted to talk about a couple of things. Um, first, we will talk about Senator Dianne Feinstein. Um, we're not going to talk about too much about her, but um, since February, she's been taking a break from Congress. She's in her early 90s. She's dealing with shingles, and she's someone that should have retired a long time ago. <coughs> but... Because she hasn't, because now she's a woman in her 90s, close to death, unfortunately, um, you know, it's been a couple of months since she's been in the Senate, and there have been a number of judgeships that have not been able to be filled because she's not there. Now, word is that, you know, she has asked, you know, congressional leaders to, you know, have a replacement uh, ready, but, you know, her plan is that she wants to finish out her term in 2024, and she will retire at that point. Um, my thinking, I do think that if, you know, there, it's not about age for me. It's about competency to be able to do the job. And if you are physically unable to be there every day, you shouldn't have that job. I think she should retire because, you know, if we, you know, look at what Mango Mussolini, uh, you know, did throughout the years in terms of all the judges he helped put into place that are now, um, benefiting that he feels can benefit him in some way shape or form with his various lawsuits we need to get the right type of judges on the bench not ones that you know feel they owe a favor to somebody and the fact that you know since february she's not been in office doing her job Sorry, she needs to go. It does. I don't care about her history. I mean, she has a long history, and she should be proud of her work. I want to be 100% clear. It's not that I dislike Dianne Feinstein, because for a while in California, I was one of her constituents. But, again, early 90s with constant health problems that have you know been pretty consistent over the past few years, she needs to go. Yep, she needs to go, and it reminds me of, like... Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I love her, right? And, and you know, she was dedicated and an amazing jurist and, you know, all of this great stuff. She should have retired when there was a Democratic president so she could be replaced with a sane judge who appreciates the rule of law. Instead, she died while Trump was in office, or she died while Trump was in office and gave Trump the ability to appoint a clearly anti-abortion justice. And I bring that up because these judge appointments may not seem like a big deal, but they're huge. And the most recent example that I know of is when the court in Texas said that the FDA's approval of the morning-after pill um, did not make it legal in the state of Texas to take it, and the state of Texas could outlaw it. Um, The judge below, the Texas district judge, 
um, decided that that was fine. Trump appointee. Then it was appealed to the Fifth Circuit. And when you go up to the appellate court, which is called the circuit courts in the federal system, what happens is a three-judge panel reviews the decision below and decides if it complies with the law. Here, there were three judges in the Fifth Circuit. One was a Trump appointee, the second was a Trump appointee, and the third was a Bush appointee. So the chances of getting a fair review of that decision from Texas basically disappeared. And now it's going to go to the Supreme Court where we have a very strong feeling that they're going to allow this to happen. Yeah, which is sickening because, I mean, we talked before about um, you know, off air and on air about, you know, Gen Z and how, you know, their voting turnout ha- is much, much higher than, you know, what ours was when we were of comparable age, you know. So in terms of being able to fix some of this in the future, I think we will get to that point because in a lot of ways, I think there are parallels between abortion and prohibition. You know, when you have such hardcore dr- draconian, you know, none of it's legal type of thing. Uh, that's too far of a pendulum swing, you know, and, you know, hopefully the Gen Z folks will be able to uh, set it right. However, you know, to your point, this is showing the importance of having the right type of people sitting on a judge's bench. I don't care about the judge's political beliefs. What I care about is their adherence to the law and not just deciding uh, off the top of her head, I don't like this, so it must be illegal. And that's, you know, flippant on my part. Um, But, you know, there are a lot of times the judges that are of a conservative bent, not all of them, we don't believe in absolutes, but a number of conservative judges are, they take that, they take that position as, you know, what's the word? They feel it's their mission to, you know, have their point of view spread. They don't adhered strictly to the law it, it, you know and, and i know there's a much more clear better word for it than what i'm rambling on well right now, but. so you know there is a loaded word for it which is activist judges activists yeah um and i say that's a loaded term because it's mostly been used by the right against the left um but it's an equal you know it's a critique of what the judiciary is doing, right? Whether it's a conservative or liberal point of view. And the thing is, or one thing is, the judiciary, these institutions we're talking about, the lower courts, the appellate courts, the Supreme Court, all of those institutions are the least democratic of our federal institutions of government because people get appointed for life, And so those Trump judges will be sitting there 20, 30, 40 years later. And they are who they are, right? Which maybe some of them are great judges, right? And they're not ideological. But the, the, you know, I think the assumption is they're going to make more decisions like this. Yeah, I mean, like, who's the Chief Justice John of the Supreme Court? John Edward? No. 
It's not John, John Edwards. John Roberts. John Roberts. Um, Justice Roberts, yes. Yeah, like, I know when he was uh, submitted by, you know, George, you know, W. Bush, there were, you know, people that were critiqued his performance. Overall, um, you know, I've actually somewhat liked his performance in office because I think, because at the end of the day, again, I don't want an activist who's going to just see things through a prism of, of their personal beliefs. The law is the law. And it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not. You can't just decide something is just wrong just because you don't like it. Now, you know, you have to be able to look at the law and judge accordingly, even if that goes against your personal beliefs. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is a habit, and I've been guilty of it myself, when you hear about judges being installed by uh, a president of an opposing party, your first instinct is, yeah, they're all bad. And no, that is not true. But you know, I, I think the evidence has shown that there are enough conservative-based judges out there that aren't taking the bench seriously, that it is a problem, that, you know, it is important to have someone like a Dianne Feinstein actually doing her job to make sure we have the right people on the bench. And 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 to be clear, if there are any conservative folks out there as well, I don't think any judge should use the bench as as a form of activism, you know, whether they're of a conservative bent or a progressive bent. The law is the law. And yes, there is interpreting. You you know, you'd be the first one to, to admit. I mean, you're a law professor, damn it. You can speak more to this than I can. But um, the law is the law. And... Well, you know, the law is the law, but what does the law mean is often... You know, it's not always cut and dry what the law means. And there's lots of room for interpretation. And there are rules about how to interpret law. And when a judge can apply those rules and come, you know, ideally, all judges would come to the same conclusion when presented with the same law and the same facts. Is that kind of consistency possible in a human system? Probably not. But... The system of stare decisis or precedence means that judges have to follow prior judges' decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is sort of a safeguard for judges can't just decide whatever they want is the law. They are governed by prior decisions. But, you know, it's all kind of loosey-goosey until the Supreme Court tells us definitively as is their constitutional job what the law means yeah and then when you have you know moral pillars like clarence thomas on 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 the court like wow what a garbage human being what a garbage garbage human being i mean i mean taking over five hundred thousand dollars in free trips from a Republican donor, the Republican donor who has like Nazi memorabilia in his fucking home, uh, you know, like, and not only that, his, his wife received all kinds of political favors and financial favors. And she helped plan January 6th too. Let's not forget that. And, and, and Clarence Thomas has gone, uh, if we want to talk about activist judges, I mean, 
he's top of the list because there have been a number of cases during his tenure at the court that he had a clear, you know, what do they call that? Um, where where a judge has to recuse themselves because they're... Conflict of interest. Conflict. Of, there have been plenty of conflicts of interest that, that, you know, he should have recused himself for that he hasn't. Absolutely. You know, and I, if anything, too, I think... Uh, you know, go off on another tangent. I mean, there needs to be some method in place for the Supreme Court to have. There needs to be some ethics. There needs to be some rules that they need to follow. I mean, the fact that, you know, he hasn't, Clarence Thomas hasn't reported um, since 2004 or 2005 any sort of personal gifts or anything like that that have been given to him because um, I guess in 2004 there was a news article that made him look bad. You know, and it, it, it offends me, too, that Clarence Thomas was given a gift of a Bible that was owned by Frederick Douglass. I mean, I, I think... Yeah, whoa. It, yeah, like, uh, you know, but there's a term that could be used that, as a white man, I shouldn't use that was a character based off of uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Um, but, yeah... So, I mean, that kind of rolls into something I wanted to talk about this week, which is the expulsion and subsequent reinstatement of the two Tennessee state's representatives Mm -hmm. who, um, in solidarity, following the Nashville school shooting, protested with members of their community who were at the Capitol protesting, um, including protesting inside the House chamber. (coughs) They were expelled after giving some really impassioned and reasonable, logical discussions of why expelling them would not be proper. The Tennessee legislature did the um, Tennessee... Whoever's in charge of the house in Tennessee um, decided to expel them. They were there was another there was a white woman in also protesting. She was not expelled. Only the two young black men, one from Memphis, one from Nashville, who had recently been elected. Those men were expelled. Mm-hmm. Luckily, they returned to their district their districts and they were voted back into office so they got sent back reinstated it's it's a temporary reinstatement until a special election occurs in both of those districts that special election still has to go and more than likely um because you know they were elected initially in that district more and because of all the brouhaha going on i highly highly doubt they they would lose that special election but you know yeah they the fiscal conservative party you know uh, ended up causing the taxpayers of the state of Tennessee to waste more money on an unneeded thing. Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, absolutely. And then the other thing about it um, is that, you know, it's interesting to consider that they can't be expelled for the same action twice. 
Because one thing I was afraid of is that they get reinstated, they get re-expelled. They get reinstated, they get re-expelled. But luckily, there are procedural rules in place that wouldn't allow that to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's kind of a compli- more of a complicated issue than you know the news is trying to present it. I mean, because I, I think if we pull back a little bit, you know, and and just look at the actions themselves and not the topic of why they went on the floor, I, I think. You know, how would you feel if on a federal level, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates went on the floor of the House of Representatives with a bullhorn and you know spent forty? 40- they did that. With a bullhorn. Well, no. you know, they, what about January 6th? But that's, th- th- I mean, you don't want to do the, I mean, that's an insurrection. That is not a protest. <laughs> that is not a protest. Like, what I'm trying to say is this. Like, on the surface, the actions of what those guys did with the bullhorn, interrupting official business for 45 minutes, was breaking the rules. But but I would say it's what John Lewis would call good trouble because in this particular case, you know, with, and you know, you're from Tennessee, you could probably speak to this a lot more than I can with gerrymandering being what it is. Democrats don't really have a voice in that state, even though if you look at the presidential election, you know, it's kind of close. You know, it's not like Alabama where it's mostly all Republican. Right. You know, it's it's it's, you know, like any 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 state that has, you know, big cities and little cities or whatever. It's it's almost an even balance. But with gerrymandering in place. They don't have a voice, so you know. In, in in this particular instance, I mean, these guys in question are not dumb at all. They are very smart for you know what they did. Um, but the yeah, I mean, to your point, the Republicans kicking them out was just bullshit. I mean, because like on the one hand, like for the actions that they did, if you strip a committee assignment or censure. That is telling them, hey, we're not going to reward you for interrupting business, but that's would it would be it would be a punishment that fit the crime, you know, if if you want to boil down to it. But by going the route of expelling them, even though as as was brought up, you know, there have been members of the Tennessee you know House that have like peed in their chairs, that have been child molesters, that have not been kicked out of office. But these guys for protesting were kicked out of office. Yeah, Oof. I mean. Uh, the racism of this situation is just couldn't be clearer, right? Especially when you had the white politicians lecturing. And I mean, like the only thing they, they didn't say was, boy. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Hey, boy. And some of them did say that, I'm sure. Um, Tennessee is the most racist place that I've ever um lived in certainly and one of the most racist places that i've been and i'm not at all surprised this is happening in tennessee i mean tennessee is often had historically been a hotbed of controversy because of the difference is in the regions of tennessee so you got east tennessee which is more republican conservative you've got the middle of tennessee which is farmer so still a little conservative west tennessee you got memphis so we got Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville that are really the the big urban centers. But anyway, what was I saying about Tennessee? 
about it being racist? Oh, yeah, super <laughs> racist. And, um, but if you think about it, it has been involved in lots of national controversies, like the Scopes Monkey Trial um, and other other such controversies. Um, Meriwether Lewis killed himself in Tennessee. So, If anything, I mean, this shows... I mean, and we've talked about this before when we talked about like that documentary Hillbilly, you know, this shows the importance of Democrats getting off their goddamn asses and and finally diving into the South in a proper way, because I, I think, you know, I mean, there have been, you know, numerous examples of how Democrats just really right off the South. And yeah, maybe they're not going to win Alabama. Maybe they're not going to win Mississippi. But I, I think that the Democrats could do a lot better for themselves if they had a better outreach to people that live in that area. You know, because I, I, again, I don't think every single person in Tennessee is racist. I just don't. You know, are there a number of them? Sure, but I, I, I think a lot of the problems that that are that are facing Tennessee have to do with stuff like gerrymandering. And I think if Democrats can take this opportunity that has been shined um, on, on them, I, I think, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, with especially when you have two smart young guys. I mean, they're in their 20s, so I can call them young, damn it. <laughs> um, two smart young guys, you know, at the helm. I mean... Again, like I said, this is the, I think what they they realized that doing what they did was breaking the rules of the house. But like John Lewis said, sometimes you need to cause good trouble for the right cause. And you know when you got kids that are being slaughtered, and you have Republican politicians that are openly now coming out and saying, "Well, that's the cost of having a sex amendment, Second Amendment. Some people need to die." Fuck that. Right, especially when they're elementary school children. Are those the people that need to die? Who gets to decide who's going to die, right? Who is the godlike person who gets to write off whole portions of the population? And it's not even like poor people or black and brown people like it usually is. It's fucking elementary school children of all economic, all racial, all ethnic, all religious, all sexual backgrounds or identities. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, Republicans will sit on their hands and not do anything about this. But, you know, in Tennessee, you want to do a drag show? All of a sudden, they're there, you know, law after law after law. And, you know, their priorities are just so fucked. You know, so again, you know, I I do think Democrats do need to acknowledge that the actions of these guys going onto the floor with the bullhorn for 45 minutes was breaking the rules. That, that I think that is appropriate to acknowledge because, uh, again, on the federal level, if Marjorie Taylor Greene showed up on the House of Representatives floor with a bullhorn and wouldn't stop for 45 minutes, we would have a problem with that. But, you know, on the other hand, when you also have to acknowledge, you know, how bad gerrymandering is, and that's probably a topic we can tackle at some point because I don't mm-hmm. care if it's gerrymandering that supports Republicans or Democrats, it's fucking evil. You know, but when you have a place that's gerrymandered to a point to where one side does not get a voice, sometimes you need to break some rules to get that voice heard. And, you know, the the republic... It's it's not even just John Lewis. I mean, it's nonviolent protest. 
Exactly. And, you know, it, I, I just use that because of the good trouble thing, you know? Yeah, it, no, totally. It, but, like, but it's like a, a spotlight needed to be sh- shined on what's going on there. And the Republicans' overreach has definitely helped Democrats out, at least in Tennessee, for now. You know, it's just hopefully this can be used as a way to have uh, to have Democrats. <coughs> we're still coughing here, folks. Sorry, folks. <laughs> to have Democrats have a little bit more of a foothold in places in this country where they need to be. Again, like I've said before, there is never, ever going to be a time to where this entire country is going to be either all conservative or all progressive. We have to work together. But when you have one side, and it doesn't matter what side that is, but you have one side that is controlling things in such a way that the other side does not get a voice in the matter, that is fucking wrong. That is evil. And hopefully this affair that's happening in Tennessee will be a way to get, you know, light some fire underneath some Democrats. You know, because, you know, when you have suppression, voter suppression being what it is across the country, um, you know, a lot of people feel like their vote doesn't matter when, in fact, it does. Just, you, you gotta, you know, it's 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 gonna, you know, we'll see what the future holds. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is definitely, I, I think, a step, a positive step for the future. I agree. All right. Speaking of the future, we're going to dive into our main event topic here. We wanted to talk about public transit. We sure did. Um, with everything getting so much more expensive, with inflation, with people traveling farther to work, um, for all of these reasons, public transit is important in cities and even rural areas. And is worth the city's investment. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, after having spent four months in Maine, where, I mean, they have a public transit system there, but it is not to the level of what Portland, Oregon's is. Uh, you know, I, I it was a wake up call in a lot of ways for me about the importance of public transit because with my credit rating, you know, being what it is, um, and you know, with my financials being what they are, unless I get really lucky financially, I'm probably not going to be in a spot where I can afford a car. You know, so having a good public transit system that, you know, can guarantee me uh, a chance to get to and from work with, you know, little hassle um, and the ability to go and have some fun on occasion or just go someplace, you know, being able to take the bus to go see my oldest, you know, I mean, would is is, is amazing. So we wanted to have uh, a pro con chat here about public transit because I don't because being that you know we're a car centric culture here and most adults have a vehicle you know i I think a lot of times people don't necessarily think about the importance of public transit because people's first instinct is why don't you get a car not everybody can really afford one it's like also not everybody can afford buying a house not everybody needs to buy a house 
you know, renting a house is just as beneficial as owning a house. You know, in some ways, it, you know, the poorer you are, it may be better because you don't, you know, depending on the type of landlord you have, of course, you wouldn't have to worry about spending money on repairs for, you know, water um, pipes that break down or something like that. Or, you know, if we go back to the car, you know, it, it, like me, if I was able to get a car, um, we're talking about a thousand, two thousand dollar car that, you know, may break down at any time. And my oldest is a mechanic, so I would have that for me, but I would still have to pay for parts and those aren't cheap. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, I think, is is to realize that there was significant public transit infrastructure before the car was accessible and popular. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is actually based somewhat on a true story, and it touches upon that. Because what happens, what happened back in the day is that you had car companies would purchase like trolley companies, and then completely shut them down to the point to where you needed a car. And, you know, I am not against having a vehicle. Uh, you know, I don't want people to think that I'm the type of person that thinks everybody should mandatorily take public transit. I think public transit is a benefit for for certain people. You know, I mean, one, it, it, whether it doesn't matter your financial status. I mean, the big benefit, of course, and we'll you know touch upon that when we get into the pros and cons, is the environmental impact. Because 50 people riding one bus is environmentally better than 50 individual people driving a car. Absolutely. You know, but, you know, for the poorer folks, you know, and I'm part of that group, you know, having, especially in a town like Portland, Oregon, having a good public transit system is going to be allow people more freedom to get better jobs, especially in a downtown area. I mean, you have a lot of people that, you know, want to go with a lot of money here that want to go to like your Apple stores. That want to go to fancy restaurants. Rich people don't work there. <laughs> no. Know? And and if you make it impossible for people to get jobs there without having to travel two, three hours to get there, you're not going to have those places there. So you need to have a way to be able to get people to and from places and, and and you know like one benefit we talked about too like with the public transit system in town here like if a concert came to the moda center um you know the big arena where the portland trailblazers play thanks to the public transit system you just walk to the corner hop on the bus and it takes you right there yeah it's great we uh, you know where my condo is located here in portland we're on two bus lines that run every 15 minutes one that goes north-south, and one that goes east-west. So we couldn't be in a better location to access the transit that Portland does have available. Um, many people, you know, what I, historically what happened is there were, there was a mixed neighborhood in downtowns. It was a mixture of people, and it was a mixture of economic circumstances and races and all of that culture. When the car came along, people could drive farther, um, to get farther in a day. And so a lot of the, when there was 
sort of white flight out of the inner cities create sort of a donut of bedroom communities of people who are who are commuting and what's happened here in portland is that downtown and the surrounding areas have become so popular that all of the rich white people have come back and so now there is a donut of people of less means which means they're traveling farther to jobs, say, in downtown Portland than they would have been 10 or 20 years ago when these neighborhoods were still affordable. Yeah, I mean, I moved here in 2015, and, uh, you know, I've definitely seen some big changes that that concern me. Um, You know, there's too much of a focus on pleasing the moneyed interest in this this city. And, you know, having money coming in is great. I'm not against rich people. I'm not against, you know, having luxury homes. I'm not against having luxury stores to buy, but you have to. I totally am. Just so you know, if anybody out there fits that description, I hate you. (laughs) Eat the rich. But (laughs) at the end of the day, there needs to be a balance and there's really not a balance here. And, you know, they're even talking about, you know, raising, you know, TriMet prices here. And it, it wouldn't be by much, but every little bit counts, especially if you're poor, you know, but Before we dive into our pro-con, you did find an article about public transit that um, had some information you wanted to talk about. Absolutely. So I found this article in the magazine Cities Today, or the website Cities Today, not magazine. Where am I? What is it? Like 2012? They still have magazines then? What's a magazine? Yeah. Yeah, Anyway. Um, So this is a 2020 article in Cities Today called What Benefits Can Cities Expect from Fare-Free Transport? And it goes through several examples, both in North America and in Europe, of communities that have instituted free public transit systems, fare-free public transport systems. They're not free in that that revenue from tickets, whatever that was, has to be made up by government money that is obviously governments get money through taxes so the people are paying for everybody to get free transit so kansas city um luxembourg other places (laughs) other places um have instituted these policies there's like a uh croatian city maybe And what they found generally is that this is hugely beneficial to cities, that cities can make more money from transit when they just pay for it, right? They get more people in the system. They get better economic development because workers are able to move more quickly and cheaply throughout the city. Um, It has some impact on climate change obligations that maybe cities have taken on like portland has said it will be carbon neutral by 2040 i believe Mm -hmm. and um transportation is a big chunk of what a city has control over that generates greenhouse gases so in, in many cases the choice was made for environmental purposes by those cities but As a result, the city itself has ended up doing financially better. Yes, and 
you know, you know, places like that see public transit for what it is. It is a service. Like the post office is a service. It is not, um, you know, like a local business that is there to make money. It is there to provide that service to the public. And yes, they do need money coming in because public transit, uh, you know, the bus systems, the buses need to, you know, have fuel. The buses need regular maintenance because they are running every single day. If you have a train system, the train, the the Rails need to be in good condition. The electric cords that you know make it run in uh, Portland, Oregon's case need you know need uh, proper maintenance when when they need it. But it is a service, and you know the benefits of that service. I think even though they're not something that you can necessarily quantify on a piece of paper to make certain people happy, it definitely does has its, have its benefits. You know, as mentioned, because you know if you. <sighs> If you have people that are that have more freedom to get a better job and not just ones that they could find within the close walking radius of their particular home, they're going to have more money to spend in taxes. They're going to have more money to spend around town. You know, it's the the benefits are are tenfold in my opinion. Absolutely, it gets people out in at night. Um, out in restaurants, out dancing, out at concerts, you know, things that happen in the inner core city. Um, that is hugely beneficial for economic development. Indeed. Um, well, and to that point, we did come across a pro-con article from a different website that we normally go to, uh, debate-wise. Um, and we're going to go through a couple of the pros and cons here um, and then use them as starting off points for conversation. So, yeah, do you want to go with the first uh, pro? Yeah, absolutely. So, pro, how to get to work. There are so many people without a car. They don't have enough money to use public transportation. How are they supposed to get to work? And it's a great question. Mm -hmm. When I moved to Portland, Oregon in 2002, I did not have a car. And for four years, I I lived here without a car. And I was able to work and go to school and go to doctor's appointments and do whatever I needed to do using public transit and my bike. And I wasn't even a good biker. So I mostly would put the bike on the bus and do the do the downhill way and not the uphill way. <laughs> I get that. But, I, yeah, I mean, and that... <coughs> And, and that makes sense, too, because, I mean, like in Portland, Oregon, some of the outlying cities like Gresham are more residential areas. And, you know, if you live in Gresham and you don't have a vehicle, um, maybe there's a McDonald's close by. But if it's mostly houses, you have to rely on something to get to work. And so, yeah, having a properly run public transit system that runs at hours that allow people to, uh, you know, go to work, you know, unlike what I remember the public uh, transit system in Grand Rapids was, I mean, that shut down about six or seven at night. And that, it was a commuter bus. Essentially, yeah. And, you know, you couldn't rely upon that to get like a second shift job or anything like that, um, which is bullshit. 
I, I will I will call it what it is. It's bullshit because, uh, again, being a service, that service should be there to allow people more freedom to get other jobs that are outside of their particular area um, that will hopefully give them a little bit more money because, you know, in Gresham, again, if you, if it's mostly residential and they may have some businesses like a corner gas station or a small restaurant or something like that, the pay there may not be as good as, you know, taking a bus and getting a job in downtown Portland, you know, where there's more chances to make more money. And again, Tell me how that doesn't benefit everybody, because if you're making more money, you're paying more in taxes and more in taxes benefits everybody. Absolutely. The um, not only are there people without a car, there are people with crappy cars. There are people sharing cars. There are people living in their cars. Um That may not work out for good transportation, especially a car that is unreliable. And cars end up costing way more in their consequences, both for individuals and for the planet, than we should be doing everything we can to encourage people not to drive single cars. Because at the end of the day, it really is not needed for everybody. Again, I'm not trying to say that all cars should be banished and destroyed. You know, cars have their benefits. They do. It's just, I, you know, especially in the city, I think most people, if they really deep down really analyzed their usage of a vehicle, they would realize that, you know, they're using a car more because of the convenience sake. You know, because with a car, you can get to and from where you want to go much quicker than you could on a bus, admittedly so. You know, but, you know, I, I think most people, if they really did look, they would realize that they didn't need a car. And, and yeah, to your point, I mean, people will think, you know, oh, you just have to pay for gas. No, you don't. I mean, it's, especially someone in my tax bracket, I could probably, if I saved up, buy a car. But that doesn't talk, that doesn't take into account the maintenance that has to go into a vehicle to keep it running for 100,000, 200,000 miles. And then it's going to break down again and you have to go off and buy a new one. Whereas why not if you are you know, living in a place like a Portland, Oregon with a pretty decent uh, public transit system, you know, taking advantage of that is going to save you a lot more money in, in the long run. Absolutely. And, you know, when I was living here car-free, I actually started doing this thing where I would take people... I took care of people's cars when they went on trips because their parking at the airport was so expensive that it was cheaper just to, for them to let me use their car while they were gone. And so, um, you know, car share is also a thing. Yeah, and there are... I mean, there are car there are like car services that you know you just with an app you can rent a car you know like that's already parked on the side of the road you just you know enter your information boom you're driving a car but let's after the professor's done coughing let's dive into the con here no importance of making it free for people who don't have money and Oh, that, that's one thing I didn't like about this website. Their grasp of the English language was tenuous at best. No importance of making it free for people who don't have money and can't get work because of it. Why? People who apply for a job should know where their job place is and how... 
<coughs> they can get there. If they know they don't have money, they should have found another job nearer to them. It is ridiculous that you apply for a job knowing it is outside your travel zone, something you couldn't reach by walking. People should know the consequences of having a job far from home. Bullshit. Fuck that guy. That is selfish beyond compare because, again, you know, like, you know, the example I've brought up before when we've talked about public transit is the single parent. You know, I mean, the single, when you are a parent, you, you want to have money to be able to take care of your kids. And are you going to pick a low paying job like a McDonald's or something like that that treats you horribly? Or. Are you going to go for something a little bit better that has better benefits that, you know, that's what public transportation is there for. And this, (coughs) this argument is just selfish at at, at the very core. It it really is like people should know their place, you know, I mean, because again, this is a car centric culture here, not unlike, you know, some places in Europe where there's more of a balance, you know, Um, in Asia. And Africa and India and basically everywhere but the United States. Um, So, you know, to me, that is just the most bigoted thing. Well, it is a very bigoted thing against poor people because the idea that people should not have choices in what jobs they take based on where they live is really a ghettoization of the city, right? Like you stay over there. Um, yeah, know your place. And no, um, you know, people should have the freedom to move up in the world because, I mean, what about the single parent that is able to use public transit to get to a good paying job that has great benefits, that is able to rise in their career? You know, I mean, that is a benefit to society because if they're able to rise in their career, guess what? They're paying more in taxes, which benefits everybody. You know, and this whole idea of people should know their place. I mean, you you shouldn't take out college loans unless you know you can pay for it. Fuck you. It's the same type of argument here. Yeah. Like, you knew the consequences of going to college. So, you knew you were going in $100,000 in debt. And you should have known you wouldn't get a job. Like, that is the perfect capitalist setup, right? Is like, to get what you want, which is money... You have to spend money on an education that promises you nothing Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And, you know, when it comes, again, to something like public transportation, having it there as an option gives people more choices. It makes it to where, yeah, you're a single parent or even a two-parent household that just happens to be poor. It gives them more options for employment than the corner gas station, you know, that is just going to exploit them because, you know, they know they can, you know, I mean, because that's the bad part about your McDonald's, about your, you know, 7-Elevens or something like that, because so few people work in those individual buildings, management can treat them like shit, and they're not going to have enough power to stand up and strike. Right. You know, but, all right, let's dive into the next pro. Okay, so the next pro is that um, free transit will encourage people not to drive. By making public transportation free, the government would be encouraging people to use public transit to get to and from work. While there may be the initial lack of revenue from the tickets, encouraging people to use public transit would help the environment. 
Less would be paid for pollution schemes and street cleaning. Road upkeep would cost less. Um, that's kind of a jumble of a lot of different things. Not in, so. So the idea seems to be we are. It is a public good to have people not drive. Yes, because you know the example I mentioned: fifty people on one bus is more environmentally friendly than fifty people each driving their own individual car, and roads cost money for upkeep as well. And if you only have one vehicle with 50 people in it, that road is going to have a lot less wear and tear over time and will be in better condition than roads that have cars going on it constantly. And, you know, that is a financial benefit and it is also an environmental benefit too because, I mean, take a look at Portland. I mean, they use, um, the public transit uses, um, for their buses, they use diesel, I believe, some of them. I know some of them are also going electric as well, but still much better. They use much better fuel for, I wouldn't say better, but less abrasive type of fuel compared to what you would get with a car, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, a lot of buses, um, you know, public buses are now run with natural gas. Or biodiesel. Some kind of back farting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there are environmental benefits for sure. Um, There are also health benefits. So if people are riding the bus, they are necessarily walking farther probably to get to bus stops, to transfer bus lines, etc. So that is a public good of health, which it decreases the cost of health care that we all share. Same thing with, you know, this idea that there's a, a lack of revenue from ticket prices. What has to happen, essentially, is the municipality has to figure out how much money is their transit system, system taking in in fares and replace that amount with public funding through some kind of tax scheme. And setting up all of those revenue sources, etc. I mean, it's a long process. But once that's done, um, once that is done, there the cost actually decreases. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, um, you, you know, like I said, it's a service, so you shouldn't look at it like a business. It's not there to make a profit. It's there as a service to the public in order so that, you know, they have more options to be able to go and do their thing. But I also do feel it is not a bad thing to make sure that money is just not being thrown everywhere. So have some oversight. Definitely have some oversight to make sure the money is being spent properly. But uh, again, you can't think of this, you can't think of a public transit system like you would think of Apple. Apple's job is to make money, no matter the cost of how it affects their employees or not. You know? Right. Um, but it, but a service is a different thing. And, you know, worrying about revenues, you shouldn't. You know, I mean, if anything, ideally, you would hope that everything, you know, breaks even. You know, um, to you know, to the point to where the the buses or the trains that they use for transit have enough money to be properly kept up, and that the drivers and everything are you know properly compensated for doing their job. But um, yeah, that this is not a for-profit business. It should not be a for-profit business. If it was, it wouldn't be run good. Yeah, absolutely. All right. 
Let's go with the con. Let's go into the con. The introduction of the Oyster card. That's the London, uh, England public transit service card, similar to the Hop card in Portland, Oregon, was supposed to have a similar effect. It reduced the cost of tickets and made the service more efficient, but it has done relatively little to reduce the number of people who use vehicles. If people have a car, they are inclined to use it rather than walking or using public transit. Cost is not a motivating factor for drivers to use public transit. Convenience is. There is a point there. There is definitely a point there. Because I know in the past, you know, when I had a vehicle and access to public transit, a lot of times, you know, especially on work days, I would wake up with just enough time to get to work if I drove on time, you know, and, um, if, but, you know, if I tried to take the bus or something like that, I would have ended up late. So it was more convenient for me to take a car, you know? And I think, yeah, I mean, I think you've mentioned it yourself. I mean, with, with a vehicle of your own nine times out of 10, yeah, you're probably going to be driving more often than not, because that is just the habit. Having this option available though, for people is you know is going to still be a benefit you know and and you know the big argument that i have is that it benefits the people in the lower you know incomes income classes that you know have cars that they don't necessarily think are totally reliable that may not have a vehicle at all you know and 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 because again this is a service a service is is meant to help everybody even if it is not a service that you use directly yourself a good public transit system is still going to help you out absolutely you you can't <sighs> cars only make poor people poorer they do it's it's a trap it, it really is a trap because you don't have enough money to buy a new one. Or if you do, um, you know, you, you're at the, at the mercy of the car dealership. And nine times out of ten, those are all rotten scumbags looking to make dollar one and not worry about you. I mean, the one time I did buy a car from a car lot, I got screwed royally. Mm-hmm. You know, because I walked in the door, they saw a sucker. <laughs> you know, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, that happens when you're poor, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, having a good public transit option would have been so much better, better for me at a younger age. Because, yeah, I mean, at, 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 it would have allowed me to, to if, if I did decide to keep a, a, a cheaper vehicle, I would have been driving it a lot less. And, you know, then not putting the wear and tear that you're going to put onto a vehicle uh, through normal driving could have possibly, you know, save money there in the long term. I mean, it's it's, you know, it, it because making public transit free, though, too, or, you know, low cost for people is not the only solution here that that it's not like it's going to be a magic wand to make it all better because there have to be other steps in place too, other things that are put into place, like making it to, to, to where, you know, more areas are walkable, making it to where, you know, you have more parks or something like that. There's an episode of Adam ruins everything that deals with this topic that talks about Los Angeles and how Los Angeles, once they started putting in more parks, started finding that people would end up walking there more. And, and, you know, if, if, 
you there has to be more than just making public transit free or low cost for it to be effective there have to be other other things that go into place as well and 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 also too like i said i'm not trying to advocate for getting rid of all cars cars have their place but not everybody needs one and for the people that don't need one or that financially just can't afford one there needs to be something else in place those people shouldn't just be screwed or you know have to accept the fact that they can only work at a 7-eleven because that's the only place within walking distance it helps everybody when you have everybody having the option to get the job that they want yeah absolutely all right going to start with the con here for the last point um, because the pro kind of deals with what the con says here so people can walk for free more than half of the world's population lives near an urban center with this being so why should public transit be free if we take the urban cities where the jobs are where the activities are everything is so close together that walking is a perfectly viable option with that being so why should the government offer public transport for free at the moment people have the option to either walk or get public transport if people choose not to walk then they should pay um bullshit more, more elitist bullshit <laughs> uh, you know and, and the pro will definitely touch upon and in fact let's have you read the pro right okay now. the pro is this rather, rather hinges on near near does not mean much you can live within a, the M25 and still be many miles from the center of London as the M25 is between 12 and 20 miles from the center all the way around but most people's definition, people within the M25 are in London, yet they are not within walking distance by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, okay, okay. The, you know, part of this is how cities are set out and, you know, how they're designed and how they change over time. And some cities are walkable. Some cities are not. I've... Portland is extremely walkable because it has half-sized blocks. So when you go five blocks in Portland, it's like going two and a half blocks in New York, let's say. But on the flip side, you know, you are further out of town and in the suburbs like Gresham or something like that. Gresham is relatively close to Portland, but not, excuse me, it's not really feasible to walk from Gresham to Portland to do what you need to do. It would take you three or four hours. Yeah, I mean, could it be done? Sure. And I'm sure there are people that um, do it and make it work. But having a public transit option would be best for people like that. Because I remember, you know, when I first moved here, I was around the 83rd and Division area. You know, I, I showed you where I was at. And I remember there was a guy that lived in the area as well that worked at the Apple store. And he would run to work every single day from that area. Whoa. You know, which was intense, you know. But, you know. He was able to make it work, but, you know, he was also single, mm -hmm. didn't have kids, didn't have a wife or anything like that, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, you don't have that luxury when you have kids, when you have a wife, when you have a significant other, um, you know, you can't, you know, be that far away and you need to have public transit to be able to take advantage of stuff again telling people to just walk is elitist it's it's ridiculous because you know people should have the freedom to be able to 
go to the jobs they want to go to, to be able to go to the entertainment places they want to go to, if they want to go to a better school, let's say in their particular area, like, like what is that, Fort Hood Community College? Mount Hood. Mount Hood Community College. Let's say there's somebody that didn't want to go there that wanted to go to PCC. You know, with public transit, they're going to have that as more of an option than than they would without public transit. You know, and that gives them more freedom to be able to build their lives up better. Um, and, and and walking in and of itself is not a bad thing as well. But you know, again, I you know I, I bring up the single parent. I mean, you're not going to have a single parent with or or you know two parents with with no vehicle that are raising young kids that are going to have the luxury of having four hours of their day you know two hours to work and two uh, two hours back home of just traveling yeah you know you're just not going to have that luxury and if public transit can cut that in in half you have more people that are going to be at home to be able to take care of their kids so basically, what we're saying here on Friends Talking Nerdy is we love transit. And we've done a pretty bad job of presenting the cons in any way other than those people are dicks. Um, but if you've been listening to Friends Talking Nerdy, you know exactly what we're talking about. Yes. And, and, and also, too, I mean, I don't think we're going to go to debate-wise again for topics because... Uh, man, their grasp of the English language there. Oof. Um, but it's not that there aren't points to consider that are negatives uh, on this particular topic. You know, because again, I don't think, you know, with any service that money should just be, you know, thrown hand over fist. Uh, Money itself does not solve a problem, you know, and I think having oversight to make sure to make sure money is being spent properly is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But it is an important service. And, you know, like, like one thing that blew my mind in Portland, Maine was hearing that, you know, people would, you know, say, you rode the bus? Isn't that what the crackheads ride? You know, just having that stereotype against people that, that use public transit is, is ass backwards. It really is, you know, and, and it's great if you are financially able to not have to rely on public transportation. Again, I'm not advocating for getting rid of all cars here, but not everybody is in your particular spot if you are one of those people who have the ability to properly maintain a vehicle over a long period of time. Yeah. You know, so you got to think about the benefits too, because again, if, if anything, if, Someone using a bus to get to work allows them to have a higher paying job. They're paying more in taxes. That helps everybody out. Yeah. And contributes to the money that replaces the ticket money. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, we love transit and we don't. We also appreciate that some people need cars. Exactly, exactly. And because cars have the benefits. I mean, you know, like we wouldn't have gone to Seattle without a car. <laughs> you know, I mean, we could t- technically could have taken a plane uh, there, but or a even, train. Or a train. But even then, you know, to get to the places that we wanted to go to, having a vehicle to travel back and forth was definitely, definitely a benefit to that experience. Um, but 
you know, does a person need to use a car every day to get to work? I think most people, if they really truly took the time to think about it, would probably say, yeah, I probably could take a bus to work or ride my bike. Now, as the article mentioned, the pro con here, convenience is a different story. You know, when you have people like me that will sleep as late as possible, you know, Sometimes you will find yourself in a spot to where, yeah, maybe I should, maybe I have to take my car. But um, it, you, it's it's an important public service, people. Uh, it's it, it the benefits far outweigh the risks, and I, I think as such, it should be something that everybody supports, whether you're never going to step foot on public transit or if you are. I agree. All right, so we've solved that problem, folks. Thank you all. (laughs) Any other comments on public transportation? You know, I think not, other than, you know, we love transit. And, you know, I I do remember when we had Fairless Square in Portland, and it was so great to be downtown and you want to go six blocks and not have to walk six blocks or pay 250 and just be able to hop on the bus, go six blocks and hop off. That, I mean, and, you know, like the, what I mentioned, the example of hopping on the bus to go to the Moda Center and back, I mean, door to door service and not having to worry about paying 20 fucking bucks for a parking spot. Mm-hmm. Or 20 Prices. bucks to take an Uber or Lyft or, you know, that other transit options are more expensive. Yeah. They definitely are, and, and, and if anything, I think we need we as a country need to find a better balance, you know, because too often, whether it be cars, whether it be guns, this country listens to the businesses and not the people. And if there is more of a balance, I think everybody ends up winning. Yep. All right. We thank you all for listening. Um, Be sure to check out every Thursday on Spotify, Tim's Tremendous Tapes. We did have an abbreviated episode this week, but we were able to play a track from the James Brown album, uh, the soundtrack to Black Caesar. Great album there. Um, I'm thinking next week's episode may be the metal episode. Oh, wow. I've been waiting for the metal episode. Yeah, I've been kind of... uh, uh, metal is metal or hard rock for me is probably my first choice uh, in terms of my musical preferences, but I, I have been making an effort to explore. And you know, exploring is you know you can find um, you can find uh, plenty of great songs out there if you look that are outside of uh, your own particular interests, like you know, like me discovering that I actually love Emmylou Harris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, definitely check out Tim's Tremendous Tapes on Spotify. And each Saturday in this podcast space, we will have something to entertain your ear holes. Until we meet again, we bid you... Adieu. Arrivederci. Goodbye. Subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.